Good morning. <laughs> How are y'all doing today? Somebody jumped in front of me and said good morning first, so it threw me off a little bit. Hey, I want to start by saying if it is your first time joining us here at Hosanna in our sanctuary, or for those of you joining us online for the first time, if it is your first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Here at Hosanna, for those of you that don't know, I am Pastor Nathan, and today we are going to be looking at the little letter of 2 John. This is one of the five books in the Bible written by the Apostle John, the others being obviously 1 John and 3 John and the Gospel of John and Revelation. But this letter is so small that some have often wondered why it's even included in the Bible. It seems to be such a small and insignificant thing. Both the letters of 2 John and 3 John both appear to be small, short, personal letters, and they may seem insignificant until you study them, and that's why we're going to study them, because when you do study them, you find out that in these short letters, there are some major essential truths to the health of the Christian church. Both 2 and 3 John are very short. Second John that we're looking at in its entirety today is only 13 verses long. Third John is only 15 verses long. And so at the rate that I teach through books, we'll be here for 25, 26 weeks, right? <laughs> so no, just kidding. As I said, we're going to be covering the entirety of Second John today. Now this letter is dated to have been written between 90 and 95 A.D., and it was written by John the Apostle, as I've mentioned, who opens this letter by referring to himself as the elder. And he uses that term both in reference to his uh, position of leadership within the church as an elder of the church, but he also uses it in reference to his own advanced age. And the Greek word that he uses for elder there can actually refer to both. At the time of this writing, we uh, believe John to be in his early 90s. And he was doing ministry, um, all his ministry work from the city of Ephesus here at the close of his very long and fruitful life. Um, it is believed, and I believe that at this point, he was the last living apostle and the last living witness to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And so with John's age came wisdom. That's uh, true then as it is true today. But with that wisdom came a focus on certain important truths that he wanted to communicate, and we see that in his letters. Over the course of his life in ministry, John had seen the church suffer um, over and over again, suffer from external persecution. But as he had seen the church suffer because of that external persecution, he'd also seen it grow and blossom through all of it. He was also now pastoring um, as a minister, second and third generation Christian believers who were now facing the growing threat of, um, uh, actually internal growing threat of false teaching. False teaching, false doctrine, and largely and specifically in the form of what we've referred to as Gnosticism. This false teaching that was infiltrating the church there at the end of the first century. Now, 1 John, the letter we just got done studying, was actually written by John about 10 years or so prior to 2 John. So 1 John had already been in circulation amongst the churches, and that letter was written to combat the very same threat, this Gnostic teaching, this false teaching that was infiltrating the church. 
Now, 2 John uh, closely parallels the themes of 1 John, and if you remember, 1 John was all about recalling and adhering to the fundamentals of the faith, right? What is Christianity? What it means to be a Christian? How do you know that you're a Christian? And what all that means and how we live. Here in 1 John, in these short 13 verses, we see the word truth 13 different times, truth. And this is the overall theme of the letter here in 2 John, truth. Loving the truth, defending the truth, standing for the truth. But not just truth in general. What he's specifically going to be talking about here in 2 John is loving the truth. Loving the truth. How truth and love work together in the Christian church. And so where 1 John was all about adherence to the truth, obedience to the truth, um, and then living out that truth in love for one another, here he adds to those concepts biblical guidelines for hospitality. The idea that we are to be loving and welcoming, but we're to be very discerning while doing so. And that's an important concept because I think the world today, and we'll talk about this later in more detail, would look at Christians and say, love is acceptance of everything. Love is tolerance of everything. All belief systems, all lifestyles, all manner of living. And when the world sees a Christian going, hey, no, that's not okay, what do they say? You're unloving, you're hateful, you're a bigot. And so this is what John is kind of dealing with. And if we remember from our study of 1 John, um, the Gnostics, as I said, in their teaching, it was infiltrating the churches. But what was worse than Gnosticism alone was the openness that believers had towards it. The openness that they had towards this false teaching. And their openness is what was causing this false teaching to spread throughout the churches as quickly as it was, and thus prompting these letters from John. As I said, the presence of false doctrine is one thing. But it's an entirely different challenge when you have people within the church who don't have much discernment. And this could be just because they're young baby Christians, right? They're brand new to the faith. Or it can be because they're simply underdeveloped in their faith. And these Christians that lack some discernment often are the ones that welcome anything and everything that sounds Christian or has a Jesus sticker attached to it. So this letter, 2 John, is establishing this very important point. Hospitality, Christian love, it's critical, it's paramount. But if you're hospitable to the wrong people, it could be yours and your church's undoing. So it's very important to be discerning. Yes, express love. Yes, be welcoming. But not indiscriminately, not without discretion, specifically in regard to the truth. This is what John's gonna be dealing with in these 13 verses we look at today. But before that, we're gonna spend some time just aligning our hearts with our Lord's and worshiping him and praising his holy name because he is truth. He is the way. He is the life. And none of us ever come to the Father but through him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much for who you are. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. God, you have given us this Bible, your holy word, to teach us who to be, how to be, what to be, God, you revealed in your word the very path to salvation, how we attain um, this, a right relationship with you, Lord, how we come into forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace, Lord. It's all found in your word. The purpose of life, the point of life, the solutions we need in life, they're all found in your holy word, Lord, your truth. 
And so God, knowing your truth is so important and living your truth is critical and then also we're called to then share that truth of those that don't know it yet. God, we pray, Lord, today as we look into your word that we would just understand how, how important truth is to you. God, that we would walk away here, Lord, with, with a reminder that, yes, we're to be loving and welcoming and, and open, and we're to be um, standing before the world with arms wide, inviting them to come to know Jesus Christ. But in that openness, we're to be discerning when it comes to truth. We're, we're to be discriminant when it comes to truth, Lord. Because true love is not just welcoming everything and accepting everything. True love is speaking what is true. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We love you. But, God, right now we want to praise your holy name because, God, you are so worth it. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in Second John, as I mentioned, and I just want to kind of give a little background as way of recap to the, the issue that John is addressing and why he's writing these letters. Um, it was the same reason for First John, but it was the false teaching that was coming into the church. Uh, towards the end of the first century and as the church was growing there, um, there was this group called the Gnostics that were infiltrating churches and bringing in twisted, false doctrine about who Jesus was, about how to get saved, about the path to heaven, about all of the, the, the spiritual truths that Christianity taught. They brought in twisted versions of that. Now, at the time, the Gnostics considered themselves a higher form of Christian. They were like Christians who got it right according to their own um, um, own belief about themselves. And some of the things they taught were that, you know, all matter, all matter, everything in the material world is bad. It's evil. It's irredeemable. And spirit, everything spirit and about the spirit world is good. In their teachings, they taught that only the spirit is redeemable. Only things of the spirit world can be good. And so um, because of that, that, that redemption, because the, the spirit was the only thing capable of redemption, um, redemption then was only attainable through the secret knowledge known only to, guess who? The Gnostics, right? They were the only ones with the secret knowledge. You may have the Bible. That's great. That's a good starting place. But you need our Jesus part two and, and our other book and, and, you know, in our third book. And you need all of our, our secret knowledge to really come to know God. And so they taught that since all physical matter was corrupt and evil and beyond redemption and that the physical body was physical matter and since the physical body has no effect on the spirit, it's just irredeemable, that it didn't matter if you sinned with your physical body. There was no harm in what you did with your physical body because it had no effect on your spirit. Just as long as you had the secret knowledge, your spirit could be saved. So there was no harm there was no lasting or eternal effect on indulging in spiritual act or sinful activity with the spiritual body or with the physical body. On top of that, they said, since all matter is corrupt, Christ couldn't have had a physical body because therefore he would have then been corrupt. So one branch of this Gnostic teaching was that Jesus didn't have a physical body. He just appeared to have a physical body, but he was actually kind of like a ghost or a phantom. Like if you went up to give Jesus a hug, your arms would pass right through him because he couldn't have a physical body because all matter is corrupt. And then so they took that to say, so when he died on the cross, there was no physical death. There was no physical sacrifice for your sins. 
Another group of Gnostics taught, no, he did have a physical body, but, but the thing that made him special was the Christ consciousness that, that fell upon him at his baptism, but then right before he went to the cross, the Christ consciousness left. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't God dying for our sins. It was just another man suffering the death penalty on the cross. But it wasn't God. So in Gnosticism, the resurrection was either ignored or just simply viewed in some weird metaphorical spiritual sense rather than a literal sacrifice. And, and, and then within and between all that, there was lots of other weird thoughts and stuff about, about Jesus and all of that. And, but they were all false truths. They were all twisted doctrines, twisting the truth of what Scripture said. And uh, these were, they were taught by multiple different false teachers, all under this general umbrella called Gnosticism, Okay. Um, now, some of these false teachers, seeing the lesser, poor, poor lesser Christians, right, in the churches, suffering under their delusions, um, they saw them as easy targets. And so what they would do is travel from church to church, travel from fellowship to fellowship, trying to bring their, their enlightened knowledge. And they would enter into these fellowships claiming to be Christians as well. Oh, we're Christians. Oh, hallelujah. God bless you, brother. Right? Yeah, we're just like you. We believe the same things. We just know the, the, the truer things, and they would take advantage of Christian hospitality to advance their cause. This is what John is writing to address in 2 John. So join me there in verse 1 of 2 John. It says, The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Did you notice a repeating word there? Truth. He repeats it over and over. Now, he opens up this letter. We already established that, that the elder, John's referring to himself as that, but he says to the elect lady and her children, and this could be one of two things. Um, there's, there's kind of some different interpretations of this, but it could either be that he's writing to a specific individual, like a specific lady and, and her family, and, and it's possible that this was a lady who, whose house was a place where the church met, because remember in the early church, there, there weren't necessarily large buildings uh, where the congregations gathered, but they met in homes. And so um, he's writing to this lady and, and her kids who had a strong walk in the faith. The other thought with this is that he's writing um, to a church or a fellowship and he's referring to this particular church or a particular fellowship metaphorically or symbolically, right? You know, the, the church is called the Bride of Christ. And so he's writing to a church body and he's calling that church body the elect lady. And so then in that case, the elect lady is the church and her children are the members of the church, right? That's the other idea here. I particularly uh, believe or specifically believe that he's writing to a uh, specific person. But either way, it doesn't affect the point or the purpose of the teaching one way or the other. So choose, and God bless you, okay? Um, but let's get into the meat of it, right? Truth. In these opening four verses, he mentions truth, or three verses, he mentions truth um, five times, I believe it is, or in the four, first four verses, five times. And, and you know, if you look at that and you couple this with the major point of his previous letter, which was loving other Christians was a big sign that you're a true Christian, 
right? Loving other Christians was evidence that you truly do know the Lord. If you couple that together, you see that we're specifically called to love one another, as he says here, in the truth. He's connecting love and truth together. When he says, I'm writing to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Now, to love somebody appropriately as a believer, to love your Christian family as part of the Christian family, um, I believe really requires a great love for the truth. To love somebody in the truth requires a great love for the truth. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mentioned it a little bit in my opening, but, but, but Christian love, I think, is something that is just radically misunderstood in the world today. Um, often in the world, if the world sees a Christian um, uh, talking to somebody, saying something, or treating somebody the way that the world doesn't think they should be treating them, right? Somebody's living a particular lifestyle, and you go, you know what, that lifestyle is actual sin, and the world goes, you can't say that, right? When the world sees that, or if Christians don't condone uh, any and all behavior by all people, what they then is say, aren't you supposed to love people? Isn't Jesus about love? Doesn't your own Bible say God is love? How dare you say to somebody that lifestyle is sin? How dare you say to somebody, no, I'm sorry, your belief system is false and it's gonna lead to eternal judgment. How dare you say that? And what they mean in that attack is simply that what they believe is that a Christian should tolerate and embrace and promote all belief systems, all manners of living, that according to them, a Christian who is supposed to be one who walks in love should be a person who, who is never dogmatic about truth. And if you dare speak out about someone's lifestyle or belief system, well, that's simply unloving, that's bigoted, that's hateful, you're evil. To the world, real love is accepting everything regardless of, and in many cases, contrary to truth. That's what the world defines real love as. And today we're seeing a whole generation of young people being pushed and persuaded into irreversible surgeries and pumped full of drugs and hormone blockers and puberty blockers long before they're mature enough to make those decisions on their own. Because allegedly, the most loving thing to do is to ignore biological truth and to ignore psychological truth. The most loving thing to do is to ignore the truth that a person struggling, and I'm using this today because I'm reading about it all over the place, I'm using this example, but the most loving thing to do is instead of see somebody struggling with, with, with gender dysphoria and things of that nature, instead of going, look, they, they're, they're suffering from a mental health issue that needs to be addressed. They're not truthfully in the wrong body. But the world says the most loving thing to do is to ignore that and to let progressive medical professionals butcher our children. True love to the world is to ignore truth in the pursuit of love. And I'll get off that soapbox. But truth and love aren't exclusive. They're not. They're not exclusive of one another. They go together. 
And truth is not relative. There's no such thing as, oh, your truth and my truth. Truth is truth. Something is either true or it's false. And yet in the world today, no, 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 your truth is your truth. You do you, boo. And we see people suffering in so many ways. Truth isn't relative. Thus, speaking truth really is the most loving thing we can do. The most loving thing we can do. And sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth confronts. Sometimes truth challenges. And so loving someone in the truth, as John opens this letter, is, is, is loving according to the truth. Loving someone in line with the truth. And that means confronting when necessary. That means challenging when necessary. And you look at examples in scripture, you see, you see Paul the Apostle, right? I don't think anybody would argue that Paul the Apostle was an unloving person. He loved people. You read about Paul's ministry and he traveled from place to place to place and went from one area of the world to another in, in his time and he traveled from these communities and embraced others and, 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 and came to them with the truth of the gospel and preached the gospel to them and served them and loved them. But when there was a believer, even another apostle, not walking according to truth, Paul confronted them. And he did so very publicly. You remember in the book of Galatians, you have the story of Peter the apostle misrepresenting the truth of the gospel. The story where, where Peter was there embracing Gentiles whom traditional Jewish thought considered them unclean. Extreme Jewish thought said Gentiles exist only to fuel the fires of hell. That was in their writings. But here's Peter the Apostle embracing them, right? We all believe in Jesus. We're family. He's sitting down with them. He's eating with them. And then some important Jewish leaders showed up. Peter was like, oh, no, I got to get up. I, I, I can't sit with the Gentiles. And so he got up and he went and sat with the Jews, causing some people there to be like, well, I guess maybe you do have to be a Jew or follow the Jewish customs to really know Jesus. I mean, maybe just, just faith in Jesus isn't enough because, I mean, look at Peter. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they're better. And because the truth that Jesus alone is enough, because the truth that Jesus alone is necessary for salvation, and because fellowship was being jeopardized because of that, Paul publicly rebuked Peter. Publicly rebuked Peter. Now, Peter's sin was public, and that's why Paul dealt with it in public, right? I'm not establishing a, hey, you know, you know anybody's in sin, you know, make a blog post about it and tell the world. <laughs> no, there's ways to deal with our brothers and sisters that are struggling, but in that specific instance, Paul, who loved people, confronted because truth was being assaulted. He didn't say, oh, well, that's, that's Peter's truth. You do you, Peter. No. As John moves through this letter, we're gonna see the most important reason that truth is so critical and why 
dogmatically, unwaveringly defending the truth is the most loving thing we can do in this world today, even when it's confrontational and even when it's difficult. We're gonna see the reason why is because people's relationship to Christ is at stake. People's relationship um, to Christ and by extension, their eternal salvation is at stake. When we say, oh, that's no big deal. Yeah, no, that's not what the Bible says, but whatever, come in, be, be a part of the family, bring your truth here. What's at stake is people believing a false gospel leading to a false salvation. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. This idea that love equals tolerate everything is true and acceptable is radically unbiblical. Imagine if Elijah the prophet thought that way. Would he have ever confronted the prophets of all? Well, no, it's, it's all good, guys. Just whatever. We all believe in the same God. Mm-mm. If Paul believed that love meant tolerate everything as acceptable, do you think he would have ever shut down the legalism of the Judaizers? How about Jesus? What did he have to say about those who didn't speak the truth? What did he have to say about those who misrepresented God? Well, you read through the Gospels and you see that he was absolutely confrontational when it came to truth. When it came to the religious leaders who misrepresented God, he called them open tombs. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. The money changers, he went in there and turned over the tables and chased them out with a whip. So he was absolutely confrontational. Verse four, Second John. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So he's kind of recapping the foundation here. And he's readdressing the, the, the very reason that people were letting these Gnostics in with their false teaching. Well, aren't we supposed to be loving? Aren't we supposed to love the brethren? Aren't we supposed to be open and welcoming? And this is what John is addressing here. And he says to this lady, I'm glad to hear that your children are walking in truth, in keeping with a command. And that command is that we love one another. Loving one another is something famous in John's teachings, right? That's why people call him the apostle of love, right? He just talked about love so much. Just love people. Just love one another. So much would be solved if we just loved one another unselfishly, without conditions, just loved them, right? So much would be good. And so he commanded Christians to love one another over and over and over again. And in 1 John, he used it as a proof of salvation, right? If you don't love other believers, you're not, you, you don't know God. It was, it was that big of a deal. But as we've seen in 1 John, and we're gonna see here in 2 John, and we'll see when we look at 3 John, true love is not indiscriminate. It's not without discretion. True love has, has discernment mixed into it. And so verse six, he goes, this is love that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. So, so follow this with me. We walk in truth, according to verse four, by keeping with the command of God that we received from the Father. The command is, and has always been, love one another. Verse five. And then in verse six, he goes, this is love, or like we love one another by walking according to his commands, his truth. And the command, as we have heard it from the beginning, 
is to walk in love. So walking in love is walking in truth. Walking in truth is walking in love. They're the same thing. True love is walking in truth. And that word walking there, incidentally, just simply means your manner of living, how you live, how you conduct yourself, right? The principles and everything with which you behave according to, that's the idea of walking. So true love is living according to God's word and living according to God's word is true love. And then this, by extension, includes preaching the truth, teaching the truth, sharing the truth, encouraging the truth, helping others come to know the truth, that's true love. That's true love. Now I said it earlier, it can be uncomfortable to speak the truth. It's often uncomfortable to speak the truth, but it's not loving to avoid doing so. And I think the reason sometimes we avoid speaking truth, me, I'm, I, 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 I don't like confrontation and you might think, you stand in front of a group of people every day and you preach the truth of God's word, what do you mean you don't like confrontation? <laughs> I don't like confrontation. I don't like arguing, you know? Um, I don't like the, the, that, that uncomfortable feeling of now we're in opposition, right? It's just, I don't like it. You know, it's hard for me to enter into that. Some people avoid it just because we're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes we, we avoid it for, for other selfish reasons, right? Sometimes we avoid confrontation um, in confronting people in truth because we want people to like us. We want to be on people's good sides, and so we want them to like us. We want them to think well of us. Sometimes we simply just don't want to feel bad for, for what needs to be said. Or like I said, sometimes we just don't want to deal with the, the discomfort of the confrontation. But all of that is ultimately selfish, it's ultimately me reasons, right? I'm not gonna share truth that this person needs because of me, because I'm uncomfortable with it. Imagine a doctor, you know, looking at the tests and reading everything and, and, and looks at your friend and goes, you got one week to live. And you go, hey doc, well that's mean. It's unloving to tell someone they're gonna die. Why would you do that? You should be, be puffing them up. Oh, it's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be wonderful. Everything's gonna be good. It's so unloving to, to tell someone bad news like that, but it's the truth. It's the truth, and they need to know the truth so they can prepare, so they can get ready, so they can do what they need to do. But when it comes to spiritual, eternal things, if you're talking to somebody who, if they refuse Christ, or if they're believing in a false Christ, they'll spend forever in hell suffering in judgment. If you're speaking to a person like that and, 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 and we don't bother to say anything to them about truth, are we really loving them by tolerating their untrue beliefs and lifestyle? Well, they're sincere. Without Christ, they'll sincerely end up in hell. Are we really loving them by encouraging or enabling their adherence to lies by, by failing to say or do anything when, when the opportunity presents itself or when, when the time is appropriate? It's not loving. This is kind of what John is getting at here. It's not loving to avoid standing for truth and encouraging truth and pointing towards truth just so we can avoid the uncomfortable moment of confrontation. 
That's not loving. And so if we diminish truth, we diminish love. They go together. They're linked. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, Paul said, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Rejoices in the truth. You know, John is doing that here. He's encouraging Christian love that rejoices in truth. And he's really defining Christian love as love that rejoices in truth. And so now we come to verse seven, and verse seven is where we come to the issue at hand. <laughs> the issue specifically that John is writing to deal with, right? After, you know, he's just spent a few verses reaffirming Christian love for the brethren, right? We have a command to love one another, this is it. Um, but, but loving one another, walking in love is walking in truth, right? He's established these ideas here that, that, that we're to love people, because of the truth, and in the truth, and through the truth. And so now he gives some parameters for the expression of loving and truth, based on love of the truth, and specifically points out the specific truth here that we were dealing with. So verse seven. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's the specific truth. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, that's the broad truth, but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, Christ's teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. And here's the key verse. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. So what is John saying here? As I mentioned earlier, there were traveling teachers, traveling evangelists, traveling apostles, traveling whatever you want to call them. Adherents of Gnostic ideas coming to the local churches, many of which met in homes, so they would go from home to home. Hi, I greet you in the name of the Lord, brother and sister. Oh, come on in. Join us, your family. And Christians trying to be loving and hospitable would just open the door wide. Where these false teachers would then start to introduce false doctrines false ideas about Jesus, stumbling and confusing younger believers, stumbling and confusing underdeveloped believers. And why did they do this? Well, Gnostics divided the world into three groups, three classifications. The first classification that the Gnostics grouped the world into was called Sarkikos. And that group, that word sarkikos, came from a Greek word that meant flesh, or of the flesh. And so this first group were people that Gnostics considered unredeemable. Completely lost, irrevocably lost, don't waste your time with them. These are people that had no interest in spiritual things, they just were completely of the flesh and lived for the flesh. The second group was called the pneumaticos, and that came from the word pneuma, right? We know that word, it means spirit. And so, the pneumaticos, according to Gnostics, were the truly spiritual ones, only Gnostics. They were the ones that, that really got it because they had gone through the secret rites and they had gone through the secret rituals and they had learned the secret knowledge that nobody else had and so they wore the special underwear and they knew the secret handshake and only they were going to heaven. 
And then the third group was the Sukikos, and that came from the word suki, which means mind, right? The Sukikos were just a tad better than the Sarkikos, right? Just a little bit better. But the Sukikos were people who had an interest, their mind. They had an interest in spiritual things. And so because they had an interest in spiritual things, it was possible to start with that and lead them to true enlightenment, to bring them into the pneumaticos, to bring them into Gnosticism. And so these Gnostics, when they looked at Christians, they grouped all Christians into that third group, Sukikos. They had interest in spiritual things. They were pursuing spiritual things. You know, they were looking into it. They had the potential to become true Gnostics. And sure, some of them were weird. And, and you know, sadly, they were, they were so close, but they were missing the, the, the truth. They were missing the point. And so, you know, they, 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 they were just almost there. But they needed the secret knowledge that we have. And since they allow us through their doors, all we have to say is, praise God, we're Christians too, and they'll just let us right in, and they'll give us places to speak and to teach and to talk. And you know, because of that, let's take advantage of that. Let's get a foot in the door so that we could raise them up to the true spiritual level. And the openness and the loving Christian hospitality wasn't being exercised with discretion or discernment. John saw this as a very significant problem. And it wasn't just John, because in the early church, um, this was rampant. So much so that by 100 AD, there was this uh, writing called the Didache that was circulated amongst the churches. And this Didache was a collection of apostolic teaching, specifically written on how do you deal with traveling teachers? How do you deal with those who come to your door and say, hey, praise God, brother. I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. You know, I'm traveling through and I need a place to stay and hey, can I teach in your pulpit this Sunday? And, and they had to come up with this writing on how to deal with this because these ministers would travel. Now, good ministers also traveled from church to church. And so in this writing, they said a few things. And one of them was, if a missioner comes to you, and, and that word missioner was from the word apostle. That's kind of why today I, I look at apostles as missionaries, right? church planners and that type of thing. But it says, if a missionary comes to you, he should be welcomed. So if a missionary comes to your door and says, hey, I come, to the, I come in the name of the Lord, invite them in, show hospitality, let them stay. But then it goes on to say, but if they stay more than three days, they're a false prophet, <laughs> kick them out. Why? Because if they're longer than three days, one, they're not traveling. They're just trying to take advantage of you and your house and your food. They're mooching off of you. And then it goes on to say, if anyone comes to you and speaks in a trance, saying, give me money or anything else, they show up to your church. Hey, I come in the name of the Lord. Come in, brother. You know, this morning I was praying and the Spirit fell upon me and I don't know, but God said you need to give me your car. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you should give me a thousand dollars. Kick them out. They're a false prophet. Now, from then until now, people have always tried to take advantage of the churches, right? People have always tried to take advantage of the graciousness and the love and the hospitality of the church. 
you know, it happened much more before COVID, so maybe COVID changed it, but we used to get people that would come to the church office always with an empty suitcase. I don't know what it was about the empty suitcase. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm from such and such church in such and such country, and, you know, I've I just been robbed, or I've just been mugged, or I've just been this, and, 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 oh, okay, and come in, let's talk, you know, and what's going on, and, and every single time, you know, if you just gave me $5,000, I can make it back home. If you just gave me this, if you just, and they were just trying to, it would happen all the time. And of course, I was the one that happened to be in the office most days when those guys would come by, so I got to talk to them a lot. And pretty soon, I would just be like, go away, <laughs> you know? Like, I can tell right off the bat, you're, you're, not, you're not genuinely a member, a, body, a member of the family in need. You're trying to take advantage. But John, here in verse seven, he identifies the subject of this letter and he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. These people were the same people that John had addressed in 1 John in a letter he wrote 10 years prior, right? It was an issue that was still happening. And, 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 and these people, he called them the same thing in his first letter. In 1 John 2.18, he said, even now many antichrists have come. Right, referring to these people who stand against Jesus, right? Because these particular people, he says, denied that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So this particular group here were the ones that were saying Jesus didn't have a physical body. So therefore, his death on the cross means nothing. There was no physical death. There was no physical uh, resurrection. It, it's just do whatever you want. And that was one of the specific heresies of Gnosticism. Deceiving people, lying about who Jesus is, lying about what Jesus did, lying about how he did it and why he did it, lying about our response to it and how we're supposed to live according. And so he calls them deceivers and antichrist. And that phrase antichrist means that, that you're standing against who Christ is. You're antichrist. You're against Christ. You're, you're producing or replacing him with some counterfeit version of Jesus that is not biblical. And they would come in and they do it today. Oh, we believe in Jesus too. It's just our Jesus isn't God. He's the brother of Lucifer. Antichrist. Oh, Jesus is actually Michael the Archangel. Antichrist. So verse nine, he goes, anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. So the, the, the truth about who Jesus was, the truth about what he did, why he came, how his mission was accomplished, what it means to us, how we to respond to that, all of that is what John is speaking of here. When he says Christ's teaching, that word teaching is the word we get doctrine from, right? Doctrine, that's referring to the foundational truths of Christianity, the bedrock that makes our faith what it is. He says if they go beyond it, they don't know God. What's beyond it? Well, the Gnostics weren't content with the teachings of Jesus. They weren't content with then the teachings of the apostles, the ones who walked with Jesus. They weren't content with that. They, they believed they had extra biblical revelation. They went beyond that teaching. They would go beyond what Jesus and the apostles taught. 
oh, Bible study is great if you're just getting started. You know, studying the Bible, that, that's awesome when you're a young spiritual seeker, but what you really know is what, what our prophets know. What you really need to know is what, what, what our prophets have discovered. And he says, as he said in 1 John, that those who do that do not know God. They're not saved. They're not a part of the family of God. And then look what he says. If they come to you with this teaching, or if, without this teaching, if they don't bring the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, if they're not bringing the truth of his word, he says, do not receive them into your home and do not greet them. That's heavy. I thought the Christian church was just supposed to be doors wide open and accept and welcome everybody at any time for any reason. But he says here, and we're gonna deal with the specifics here in a moment, right? The person who comes in, going beyond the teaching of Jesus, bringing falsehoods and false doctrines and false things about Christ and salvation. Don't receive them in your home and don't greet them. Why? Because their false truths will infect and pollute and disease the flock. When he says don't receive him, that word receive means to include someone in an experience. Or to put it another way, to welcome them into the family dynamic to welcome them in as one of your own. This doesn't preclude having a non-believer coming into your house and having coffee with you and having a spiritual discussion with them. He's not saying no to that. He's not saying that as a church, our doors aren't open for anybody. Anybody that wants to come into Hosanna, you're welcome. I don't believe what you believe. You're still welcome here because we want you to know Jesus who loves you You're welcome in that regard, but since the churches in those days, they met in the homes. The idea is that when you invited someone into your house church and you showed them the same welcome and acceptance as you would with a believer to come in and share whatever you want and partake of everything that's ours and be one of us the way you would any other brother and sister, what he's saying here is you're diminishing the truth by allowing them to bring in their false truth. And that isn't loving. Why is it not loving? Because you're literally allowing someone to come in and feed poison to your loved ones. True Christian love is discerning and discriminate. And that's not a popular thought in today's world. You don't allow those with lies and false doctrines to come into the fellowship and then to teach and share and promote those lies and false doctrines any more than you would allow someone to come into your home and harm your family simply because, oh, well, I don't want to be rude and unloving. Sure, come in and and hurt my wife and my kids. Oh, you know, because it would be unloving for me to say, you can't do that. It would be unloving to say, you're not welcome here if that's your intent. No, John says, he says, you don't receive them. You don't welcome them as a family. And then he goes, you don't greet them. That word greet means to hail somebody or to extend a wish of health and happiness. That's like us saying, hey, God bless you. God bless you. What do we mean when we say that? We're saying, I pray that God would bless you. 
God bless you, welcome, you're, you're, you're one of us. He's going, don't do that. But don't do that with these people. Again, this isn't saying that those with differing beliefs, differing lifestyles aren't welcome in the church, shouldn't be welcome in your home. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's not giving a, like anybody that isn't a Christian doesn't exist in your life. That's not what he's saying. But those who intent, whose intent is to infiltrate, those whose intent is to gain a platform to spread false doctrine about Jesus, false doctrine about Christianity, nope, you are not welcome. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, I disagree on some things, let's meet. I'll go to lunch with you. Let's talk. But God has called me to be a shepherd of this flock, and I am not going to allow you through the gates of this sheepfold and to bring false truth and infect those that I am called to minister to. It will not happen here. But I still love you, and I want you to know Jesus. And if we've got to talk about some things, we'll do it outside. We'll do it at Starbucks. We'll do it, we'll do it somewhere else. Verse 11, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. What does that mean? John is saying, look, when we greet them, when we bless them and welcome them in as part of the family and welcome them in as a family member, what he's saying is you might as well be the one pouring the poison down the throat of your loved ones. That idea there is really heavy and, and that's why I want to make sure we get it. You know, when we greet them, when we bless them, when we welcome someone in with an intent, their intent, right? I'm coming here specifically to bring false doctrine, to spread lies about Jesus and all of that. And, and, and we welcome them in and we let them into our home, our fellowship, our community group, our church. You allow, allow them in, you might as well be the one pouring the poison into the soul of your loved ones. That's what he's saying here when he says share in his evil works. It's a, it's a heavy thing. And so like I said, that's why if someone comes into this fellowship with the intent or is fellowshipping here and then starts to, to bring false doctrine and false teaching and false ideas about Jesus, about sin, about salvation, Christianity, what the Bible says about this fellowship or this lifestyle, and they will not receive correction. They won't receive any of that, but insist to, to, to bring their lies. We apply a policy here called splitcha. Splitcha. What policy is that? Well, this is how my grandpa used to say it. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. You're not welcome here if that's your intent. And it is, I think, truly evil to deceive someone into a false gospel because false gospels lead to false salvation. But it's equally as heavy to allow it to happen to those you have charge over those you have influence over, those you were called to protect and love. And when we allow it to happen, we're sharing in those evil works. That word share there means join them in doing. So really there's no reality of, oh no, I, I, it's just passivity. You allow it to happen, you might as well be the one doing it. That's the, the thing John's laying here. So verse eight, I wanna deal with verse eight because somebody's gonna be like, you didn't deal with verse eight. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. You know, Christ died to save our souls. He died to save our souls. And it's in Christ we find community, we find family, we find unity, we find connection all in our faith, right? 
but we have to be diligent and discerning in our work and our effort to protect that fellowship. We've got to be diligent in that. We've got to be, 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 be discerning, as I've been saying. You know, love does not mean total, complete acceptance and tolerance of all things. That is not true love. It's quite the opposite. True love will speak truth. True love will speak truth even when it's difficult. True love will, true love will stand for and defend the truth of the word of God. Now, yeah, do it lovingly, right? There are people in this world that, that, that want to preach and defend the truth of God, and they do it in a, in a just arrogant and combative and, and unloving way. Don't do that. But the idea is, is not to stand by and just passively let untruth just infiltrate the lives of you and your family and your church. It's like, no, we need to have a conversation about this. That's not right. That's not biblical. The reason we stand for truth is because we know that eternal life is at stake. We know that a blessed life here is at stake, right? We talked about that at the end of First John. Christians start to believe untruths about things. They start to live in ways that are untrue. And that untruth living, that sinful living, then brings just a, a reduction of life, a reduction of vitality, a reduction of joy and peace. And, and that's not what God wants for us. And then he closes this letter. Oh, but real quick, sorry. Verse eight again. He says, but you may receive a full reward. I don't believe this verse is speaking about losing your salvation or anything like that. That's why I'm addressing it. So I'm looking at this verse and go, oh no, if you don't stand for truth, you're going to hell. It's not what John is saying here. Um, watch yourself so that you don't lose what you have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. It's not talking about loss of salvation, but it does seem to be indicating that not standing for truth means you diminish your reward in heaven you diminish your ultimate rewards. Those rewards that, 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 that we know the Bible talks about when we get to heaven, there's gonna be rewards for those who are faithful. You can diminish that by refusing to stand up for the truth. Now, we don't want that. None of us should want that, and so stand for truth. So then he closes the letter, verse 12. Though I have many things to write you, I don't wanna use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. So John had more to say, but this is what the Holy Spirit wanted us to know. This is what we have written. This is the point of this letter here, but I will say this about these closing verses. And when it comes to loving relationship between believers in the church, when it comes to that relationship, I will say this, distance only works for a little while. Distance only works for a little while. There comes a time where you need face-to-face fellowship. I know the last two years have turned our world upside down and redefined things and how we meet and how we come together and all that and COVID hit and you know the world tried to flex its muscles and shut the church down and, and for a brief time we all went online. And then shortly thereafter that our pastor, Pastor Gary at the time was like, forget that nonsense, we're opening our doors. And so many followed suit, right? We need to be together. And we've been meeting here face-to-face ever since. There comes a time where if you're distanced, that'll work for a time, but you need face-to-face fellowship. You can social distance all you want. You can watch online, and that works. And I know there's some of you watching online that you're, you're literally like in another country. You can't come here. And so online is, is, is meeting the need right now, and that's, that's okay. 
And yes, there are some, and some of you watching online now, that due to, to health reasons or mobility reasons, the best you can do is to watch online from home. And we are blessed to be able to offer that. We are blessed to be able to bring you into the room remotely and all that. But for others, you're capable, you're able, you're healthy enough, you're close enough for face-to-face fellowship. And you need to be in that accountable setting where you can share, pray, talk through, evaluate some of the stuff you've been watching online for who knows how long now. To embrace, to get a hug. You're lacking that complete joy that comes from that fellowship. And so if you can, if you're capable, I just wanna encourage you, get back into face-to-face fellowship. We're here, our doors are open. We're here to love you. We're here for you. Get back to walking in truth and walking in love and expressing and extending loving hospitality and welcome to your brothers, sisters in the Lord. Whether it's here Sundays, whether it's in our community groups, which is all about that, bringing us together in fellowship. And for those of us that are mobile, for those of us that are able and capable and healthy, we have some brothers and sisters who literally cannot get here for one reason or another. I want to encourage all of you in this fellowship, find out who they are and take your face to their face in their place and engage in some face-to-face fellowship with them that can't make it here for one reason or another. Find ways to go and just give them a hug and say hi and to pray with them, even if it's just for a brief moment because it is life-giving when we see each other face-to-face. Our joy is made complete in those times. So true love requires love for the truth. And that involves knowing the truth, that involves living the truth, that involves sharing the truth. And the truth we believe here at Hosanna is that Jesus Christ is both God and man. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who came to this earth to die for us, who rose again on the third day, defeating the power and control of death forever, who ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to intercede for us, his family, his people. Let us know that truth. Let us live that truth. Let us share that truth as a church. And while doing that, let us guard that truth in the family that comes with it and the family that comes from it passionately. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, God, that you are truth. We thank you, Lord, that you came to this earth to display truth, to be truth, to teach truth, to example truth. And Lord, you did the most loving thing anybody could possibly ever do is to come and tell us that in our sin we will perish, that in our sin we will suffer judgment forever, that in our sin without the propitiation that you are God, we will eternally pay for the sin that we've committed against you. But Lord, in that very same truth, you expressed your great love to say, I have come to pay the price for you. I have come to die for you. I have come to die in your place that you could be forgiven and set free from the power and control of sin, that you would be able to live a life here in Jesus' name, knowing that this life can be full of life. Difficult, yes. Challenging, yes but with meaning and purpose, yes. 
and then to know that we have an eternity in paradise with you, an eternity in heaven with our creator, if we would just receive what you did by faith. Lord, that is the truth you came to preach. You didn't think it was loving to just say, oh, do whatever you want, all roads lead to God. Lord, you didn't say that it didn't matter what faith someone believed in as long as they were sincere. Lord, you didn't say that the most important thing was how you feel about it even when biological truth says it's wrong. Lord, you came and said truth is truth and I love you enough to tell you. And so Lord, I pray for all of us, God, that as we grow in truth, to live our lives walking in truth and sharing that truth with those that don't know it yet, God, that we would do it lovingly. That, Lord, as we minister to one another within the body of Christ, we would be discerning. We would be um, discriminating in that, in that sense of, of watching what we allow into the circle of our family. That we wouldn't just have the, the doors open and the arms wide and never even pay attention to what is being said, what is being preached, what is being taught, what is being encouraged. But Lord, we would love, we would welcome. And then Lord, we would test. And if something or someone is a false prophet, Lord, we would kindly, lovingly show them the door. To be open, Lord, to have conversations with those who have questions. Lord, but to guard passionately against those who have a desire to corrupt and to destroy. So Lord, I pray, God, you would continue to work here at Hosanna and all your churches, Lord. That your truth would shine brightly in a world that is getting darker and darker. That your truth would shine brightly in a world that is getting more and more against the very concept of truth and that we would lovingly stand together as your children, as your family, guarded and protected, and then we would shine the truth out to those that desperately need it so that they would come to know you, the truth, and that they would come to be able to live in truth, and that they then would be people who would also share that truth, Lord. We thank you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's worship.